Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Hey. Happy Tuesday. How's it going? We miss you guys. I feel like it's been a while since I we've do done too. this, and we literally did this last we week. <laughs> but we weren't in our room, so I think... That's true. We it was were, different. Yeah, we were out of our space. And it wasn't super pelvic floor-y things yeah. that we talked about, but that's going to change That is going to change today. I'm so excited. So, over the weekend, I took a course with Herman and Wallace. I cannot say enough good things about Herman and Wallace. If you are interested in dabbing your toe, just like a little dibble dabble in pelvic floor, but you're like, I am not ready to do an internal exam or have an internal exam done on me, go to Herman and Wallace's website because they have so many options. I took a labor and delivery, a birth birth prep, treating the pregnant patient, pelvic girdle pain, just pretty much everything that has to do with the pregnant client class. And it was appropriate for literally OTs, PTs. You did not have to be a pelvic floor PT to take this class. I feel like I got a little bit more out of it as a pelvic floor PT. It opened up some of my treatment options, but they have so many classes. It's just good for everyone. So if you're yeah. They have, I was going to say, they have a really good variety of classes. They even have pelvic floor specific dry needling courses, which Kelly and I are all about. We're trying to yeah. plan a couple of those for this year. Um, but they have, like I said, just a wide variety of courses with special considerations like pregnancy, oncology, the male pelvic floor, pediatric considerations, anything and everything that you could like want to learn learn about they have for you. Um, I got most of my continuing education through the American Physical Therapy Association, their section on pelvic health. They also have a very wide variety of courses as well. Um, I do think Herman and Wallace has a little bit more variety, um, but yes, very good things. Very good things. Yeah. So you know us, we know we love our continuing education courses and every time we take one, we want to tell you all about it. So Callie is going to tell us everything she learned and kind of when we're going to go over kind of a little bit more like some specific things um but yeah so really I could spend five episodes so to condense it (laughs) we're going to talk about prepping for labor and birth so any of my pregnant mamas out there if you know somebody that is pregnant getting ready to give birth this is for you because what I learned in this course was just an absolute gold mine. Um, I love we some of the people in there were talking about how they actually offer a, like an extra course in addition to therapy for their pregnant patients. Like they can come in, they can bring their spouse, their partner, and learn some of this. And I was just like, that was a great idea. But without any further ado, we're going to talk about prepping for labor and Let's birth. Go. So the very first thing, I feel like you can't talk about prepping for labor and birth without talking about the perennial massage. Yes. This is so huge, and I feel like it's so under-discussed. 
Also, something I learned at the course, there's a difference in the perennial massage you're supposed to be doing to get ready for birth, and then like the perennial massage that the OBG will give like right before you give birth. So I guess right before some OBGs, not all, but some OBGs, if they, especially if the mom is medicated, like has an epidural, they do a very, very aggressive perennial massage, just trying to get that tissue ready for delivery. And so the, the woman that taught the course was talking about, she had asked her OBG about perennial massage and that's what her OBG knew. And so she did it and it was like super aggressive. It was just in her office at one of her um, visits prior to giving birth. And she was like, okay, this is the most horrible thing ever. And so she didn't do it before her first kid. Cause she thought that's what she had to do. And she said it felt almost like someone took her perineum and was like wringing it out Ugh. like a dish towel. Ugh. No, oh, So God. that is not what we're, what we're no. talking about is more gentle. Um, um, no, I have a, I have, um, a handout that we could post to our Instagram too, but it's, yeah. it's gentle and it, and it's just going to be working and gently stretching that tissue with your hand to prepare it for birth. So some of the benefits of this is you're going to get increased flexibility and elasticity of the perineal tissues. A review, if you don't listen regularly, the perineum is just the area between the vagina and the anus, that area of skin and a little bit of muscle. So we're going to get some incre increased flexibility, increased elasticity there, which is then going to lead to a decrease in tearing and the need for an episiotomy. This also helps to desensitize and increase relaxation for that area. So so what it can feel like in the beginning if, and I want everybody to do this along with me. So take both of your fingers and put them in the corners of your lip and then like pull your lips apart. And it feels kind of like burning. It feels very, very uncomfortable. And that's what stretching in the perineum can feel like if you've never felt anything like that before. So when you start stretching that perineum, when you start taking your fingers and stretching that tissue, it'll feel a little bit of like a burning discomfort at first, but then the more you do it, the more that tissue accommodates to that and it starts to relax. It's just like a stretch, but just it's like just, a, yeah. it's, you got to get a little bit more specific in the perineum because a lot of times that tissue is just a little bit tighter naturally, especially if you do have, if this is not baby number one, if this is subsequent baby, and if there is a history of any sort of scar tissue down there already, that might be contributing to some of that restriction. So got to work it. Absolutely. So what they found with doing this perennial massage was that most, both women who had never given birth before and women who had given birth before reported a greater sense of control during childbirth and feeling more prepared physically and psychologically. Oh, I love that. So a lot of really good benefits to this. Yeah. And I mean, like if you know, like what that stretch feels like mm -hmm. before you're in that oh my gosh I'm actually going to push a human child out of my body right this second then it's not as scary I mean and great I mean Callie and I can't speak on you know ex experience here but at the same time it's like I can only imagine like feeling that stretch and being like oh my I'm tearing I'm tearing yeah. I'm tearing I'm tearing yeah but if you know kind of like what that stretch feels like and you've kind of prepared for that you're better able to relax and like we've talked about this before but the more comfortable that you are 
as that birth giver, the more comfortable baby is going to be too. Yeah. And the easier that whole process is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of another thing they talked about was that quote unquote ring of fire that people yeah. talk about when um, you're moving through the stages of labor. It can actually help you have less anxiety and feel more in control when you start to experience that. They also found that both for women who had never given birth before and women who had given birth before, with perennial sage, there was less pelvic floor and anal sphincter damage, less perennial suturing needed, less acute and chronic pain, regardless of if the patient had to have an episiotomy or not. So even if they had to have an episiotomy, there was still less pain compared to not doing perennial massage. I love that. Awesome. And some really good bonuses here. Greater sexual satisfaction and sensation. Postpartum and greater likelihood of orgasm. So for our PTs, if we're needing like a carrot to dangle to get our, if less less pain during birth isn't good enough, there's some more. I've I've noticed that too, because like I've had some patients that like I'm trying to talk to them about perineal massage and like, Hey, this is going to be something because there's, there's definitely a time frame, right? Because you do not need to be doing this the day that you find out that you're pregnant. It's typically like four weeks, four to six weeks, kind of before that 34 to 35 weeks gestation. Perfect. Yep. So kind of within that range is kind of where we want to start this perineal massage. And I like I've approached that subject with some patients and they're just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, what What? What do you mean you don't know? Yeah. (laughs) Be doing this every single day. What do you mean? Literally. So it's yeah. Like Kelly said, if that's if you need a carrot to dangle to get that patient buy in, like, hey, not only are you less likely to tear, but even if you do, it's going to be less painful and you're going to have better sex afterwards. Yeah. So here's some things that perineal massage does not do. And this is very important. It does not overstretch the perineal or the vaginal opening. And I hate this word, but I'm going to say it. It does not make you too loose. It actually talked about sexual satisfaction and sensation. It improves that. So it's not going to, like we've talked about, it's not going to stretch you out, make you too loose, anything like that. Um, it is not going to increase postpartum urinary or fecal fecal incontinence. Perfect. And it does not decrease sexual satisfaction postpartum. So the takeaway, you only have gains from perineal massage. You have nothing to lose. There's no reported risks or adverse outcomes. So what is dosage on that? Well, we want to start 34 to 35 weeks gestation and perform up to seven days a week. Perfect. So there's greater benefit to daily massage, but at least four times a week is recommended. Another thing was women panic. They're like, I missed a day. Like, am I going to rip and have, no, no, no. If you're fine, if you miss a day or two, it's fine. Just get back with your program. You can use a lubricant that is isotonic to the vaginal. So just something that, um, is okay with that vaginal and seminal fluid, usually water-based fluids recommended. They don't they recommend against using food oils because that can increase irritation. However, the course instructor did say that coconut oil is fine and great. And she says she has people use coconut oil all the time. She's been doing this for years and she had one person get like a little yeasty one time and all her yeasty. That's what she said. Over. She was like, just like one person one time. Got a little yeasty. A little yeasty. I was like, this is hilarious. hilarious. I love that. Yeah. 
Okay, so how do we do this? How do we perform this massage? First things first, you always want to wash your hands and trim, please. And trim your fingernails. Please, please. If you have long manicured nails, you may want to use a glove just because we do have a little bit of a compromised yeah. immune system during pregnancy. We don't want to risk any kind of infection. So if you've got those long manicured nails, just put gloves on. Or you can even use your pelvic wand to do this too. If you've got one, you yep. can you can use a pelvic wand if you're having a difficult time like reaching around that belly um, or finding that comfortable position to kind of get your hands down there. You can absolutely use a pelvic wand too. Yes. So the comfortable comfortable position is huge get a ton of pillows, get yourself propped up, get yourself comfortable. Sometimes reach like inside lying, reaching around from the back to get away from the belly can be helpful. You can get a partner involved, just whatever, but find that comfortable position. Sometimes even standing in the shower. And a lot of people are more comfortable with self-touch in the shower too. Mm. So you're already clean, people are, you're already naked. So it's a great time just to get after it. Just don't fall. Don't fall. Be, be somewhere that's steady where you can hang on. We don't need you falling. Exactly. Then you're going to insert either both thumbs or an index and middle finger into the vaginal opening. So step one, just in, go ahead and insert two fingers. You're going to inhale and relax. And then as you exhale, you're going to press towards the back wall of the vagina, like towards the rectum. So just kind of straight down and you're going to hold until you feel a stretch and then you're going to hold that stretch until you feel a slight numbness or a tingling sensation. So we're really trying to create some tissue changes, some tissue lengthening here. So we're going for longer holds and you're just going to continue to breathe as you do this. The breathing is very, very important. We want to breathe. We don't ever want to hold our breath, anything like that. After you've worked that bottom part, then you're either going to go to the right or the left. It doesn't matter, but just kind of down into the side and hold same thing up to five minutes. You don't want to hold longer than five minutes and then do the other side. You can also take both hands and kind of move, especially with your thumbs in a sweeping motion, starting at the base with both thumbs and then moving to opposite sides, just doing a nice sweeping motion and you can increase the pressure as you feel comfortable. So what I tell people, I think it's nice to kind of start with this sweeping pressure, get the tissues warmed up, get them used to some movement. And then after you've done this for a couple of minutes, then you can go back in with those longer holds. Whatever is comfortable. And I think like the biggest thing is just like, just getting some movement, just like anything is better than nothing. Um, but we just want to Again, we're, we're after that tissue change, so it's not going to be like super comfortable at first, but it's going to get easier and easier the more the more you do it and the more you get um, more you get that stretch through those tissues. Absolutely. So the next thing we want to really focus on is just overall body and joint flexibility labor is intense. Anybody who has ever gone through labor knows how intense. And so it really requires conditioning that body to be able to engage in these positions, maybe for a prolonged period of time. So depending on what you're struggling with, what areas, a lot of these stretches can be really, really tailored to each patient, but we're going to go over just some general, some basic things that anyone can do. 
you really want to hold these at least 30 seconds, but any, but up to 90 seconds. But we're, again, we're really trying to work on flexibility and mobility. You can even have patients do it. Um, or you, you want to make sure patients are breathing. But like I said, we want to hold 30 to 90 seconds versus just holding through breaths. Cause a lot of times people will breathe faster. They won't count as much, whatever, but we're really trying to get that sustained hold. So what are some good stretches to prepare for labor? Deep squat, which is one we just love for the I pelvic love deep floor squats. in general. Yeah. I usually recommend people hold on to something just for safety. Your so, center of gravity is yeah. all, all messed up. It's all different. Yeah. So yes, hold on to something. Countertop, kitchen sink, partner, bed frame, something. something. Yeah. The next one is a standing lunge hip flexor stretch, which I also, I was like, we do all of these in the clinic. So Beautiful. I love to see that, but just get your foot up on something like a chair, footstool, step. step, and you're going to lean into that like, until you feel it in your hip flexor and then switch sides and do the same thing on the other side. Um, then there was a standing side lunge for an adductor stretch. It's like we do a lot of variations of that too. Seated butterfly stretch, <clears throat> seated figure four stretch, seated hamstring stretch, standing gastroc and soleus stretch, seated spinal trunk rotation stretch gently on this one because we know those joints are going to be really really mobile so we don't want to crank into rotation we want to be gentle on that modified child's pose you can get a pillow or something to support the belly and then cat and cow what so I like everything that I, we're going to make you do when you come in that's here that's what I thought when I was taking this course I was like I see Rachel and I well all the therapists here all the pelvic floor PTs doing these on a daily basis daily. in some form or fashion yeah. so it was just really really great to kind of have that whether you're pregnant or not even too like those yeah. are just like some of our staples that just like we just love they just you just get so much good mobility through the pelvis, the low yeah. back, the hips. And so utilizing these on a daily basis, especially as you're getting closer and closer to delivery, is just going to help so much. Yes. Um, the more flexible you are, the more positions that you have at your disposal, which we're going to get into later. Yes. But um, the more positions you have at your disposal, the more comfortable you can be during that delivery process. So work on your mobility. Um you should be working on your mobility, whether or not you're pregnant, whether or not you are capable of getting pregnant. Everyone you should yeah. be mobile, but especially if you are pregnant. Exactly. The next thing we talked about, which I thought was super interesting, is using a TENS unit for labor, mm. which I had never thought about before. I don't know why, probably because I haven't ever given birth, but <laughs> people, therapists use TENS units for pain control in the clinic all the time just to kind of gate that pain signal. And it can be used during labor. And the cool thing is you can, these units are not very expensive and they found that really parameters and settings don't matter. Okay, cool. It's just like put them on, they recommend the low back. Obviously you don't want to put it in that super pubic area. Right, because I was going to say, where do you want to put low the low back? Okay. So you want to do kind of find the sacrum and do two above on either side and two below. You don't want to do it in the front, like super pubically or anything because babies there and you don't want to shock baby so we want these in the back it's very very safe and again you can just kind of play with the settings and find what feels good for you it parameters don't really matter cool. bringing um, one most women reported the desire to use tens again in future 
births. So no significant difference in fetal outcomes or anything like that. No risk. Which I find kind of hilarious because that's like, and we've kind of talked about this before, but I mean, even going through PT school, it was one of those things where like every modality, everything that we learned about was just like pregnancy was a really big contraindication or precaution to almost every single thing that we did. And then now it's just like, no, actually it feels great. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. (laughs) So that, yeah, I thought that was interesting too. I guess that's that's why it never occurred to me until this class. Um, So I mentioned the area of the sacrum. Another really common place that people liked is one just below the bra line across the spine. So like two there. Oh yeah, kind of up in that thoracic spine. mm -hmm, And then in the lower back. So like I said, it just, they recommend not using it over the abdomen, but definitely if you do use it on the abdomen, do not place the pad super pubically. Which just means like right right above above the pubic bone. mm -hmm. Just kind of keep it. What, do they want it higher or? Yeah, yeah, higher. And especially if the mom is really, really thin or if the baby is occiput posterior. Gotcha. Just because. Sunny set up. Yeah, don't, we don't want to do that. Okay, now the part that I just absolutely lost my mind for. Are and you loved. ready? Labor and birth positions. This deserves a crack of the monster. Yeah, I've been looking at my computer notes, but I'm getting my handwritten notes out now. AKA her binder that she has on this class. I took so many notes. It like it's a legit binder with color-coded it's tabs color-coded. and everything. So, labor and delivery positions, we kind of talked about this a little bit in our episode with Sylvia, um our lovely lovely midwife that we have here in town. Um I don't know about you guys, but after doing that episode, I wanted to be in active labor so that she could just have my child right then and there. She is brilliant. Uh, But she talked a lot about positioning and getting into positions that are comfortable for you. But I think the thing is, is that a lot of women don't know what those positions are. It's just like, oh, I feel like I have to give birth on my back. Like, what do you mean I can get into other, what other positions are there? We're going to tell you. We are going to tell you. Now, a caveat to all of this, and this is something they like really were um, very specific about. We've got to respect our colleagues meaning ton of respect to our OBGYNs out there. There's some hospitals that once a woman is hooked up to monitoring, she's not really able to move or after, after epidural, they don't really want her moving. And so number one, consider that when you're giving birth. And if you're at a facility, if you want to move and the facility doesn't allow that, you might want to go a different direction. Or if you're like, I want to go with this facility, some of these, may not apply to you based on what your facility allows. So just some considerations. Um, There was also a really big push in this class and I really liked it. Talking about the terms of delivery versus birth. And so there's actually a really, really big push to stop using the term delivery. And it actually came from a midwife who was talking to them and she was like, guys, you deliver a pizza, you birth a child. And I I don't know, I just thought that was very, very interesting because it was talking about delivery almost sounds like passive and it's like, it's not a passive process. Like giving birth is this very active. You are very much involved. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I just thought that was very, very interesting. And our job as physical therapists 
knowing all about body mechanics, we can help prepare and instruct women in optimal birth positions to protect and even prevent problems if we are treating someone for specific musculoskeletal problems, which most of the time when people come to see us, they've got some musculoskeletal problems. So this addresses like if you have tailbone pain, what's a good position for you? If you have SIJ pain, pubic symphysis, lumbar problems. I love this. Callie showed me this this handout that they gave them, and it's literally just like a beautiful chart of like, mm-hmm. okay, if you have discomfort here, try this position, and here's why. If this hurts, do this position, and here's why. So it is beautiful. It is awesome. So we're going to start. I'm just going to go through all of these. It's not going to be as in-depth. But if you have one of these problems, come see us. And yeah, we'll I was going to say, first of all, you should be yeah. coming, to, coming to see us anyway. But yeah. And another thing I thought was super interesting is labral tears. Hip labral tears are just terrifying. Yeah, that's pretty common during birth. And so some of these positions can actually help you avoid injury, especially if you were prone to. Or if you already have a labral tear. Yes. I'm pretty sure I have one. I like think I do too. Yeah. That I have one or at least some sort of impingement. I remember in PT school, we were going through class and one of my friends texted, we were going through like labral tears and like hip impingement and stuff. And he texted me in the middle of class and he just goes, you have this. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yes, I do. All right. So if you are someone who has sacroiliac dysfunction, so if you have really posterior, if you have pain in your low back near the area of the sacrum. Here are some really good positions to labor in and to give birth in. So really anything that keeps the hips symmetrical. So we don't want like one leg up, one leg down. We want to keep hips symmetrical and neutral. And then um, we want to avoid any kind of rotation abducted positions. So what they recommend is quadruped or on all fours is really, really good. And then kneeling or tall kneeling. So kind of on your knees or, and a lot of times that's like bracing or holding on to something, but or someone or someone. Yeah. So all that can be really, really helpful. You want to avoid anything that's going to unevenly load the joint. So like, um, or anything that's going to put a ton of pressure or fix the sacrum and the pelvis to the bed. So if you have posterior pelvic girdle pain or pubic symphysis dysfunction, giving birth on your back is not ideal because that pelvis is fixed to the bed. Also deep squat is another one that's not ideal because it's just a lot of strain to that sacroiliac joint. The next one, which I'm also sure, almost positive I have this after snowboarding, but coccidinia tailbone pain you want to find positions that take pressure off the coccyx or the tailbone so again on all fours that quadruped position kneeling sideline is really really great a note about sideline a lot of women really find that laboring in this position is really really comfortable but what studies have found is that giving birth in sideline sometimes you can have a harder time creating the required force to actually give birth. So some counter pressure on the legs, on the lower extremities from a nurse, from your partner can act, can help you generate the force. So that's something to consider. If you have to be on your back to give birth, then 
placing a towel roll or a pillow under the sacrum to lift or float that tailbone is really, really beneficial. So it'll allow more freedom of movement and prevent any further injury or pain to that tailbone. Because the last thing we want, especially if you're giving birth unmedicated, is more pain. And if you're giving birth medicated, even though you can't feel it, if you already have this condition, you don't want it to be worse after giving birth. So again, you want to avoid being flat on your back without that sacrum floated. You want to avoid being supine and you want to avoid being seated with a posterior pelvic tilt. Okay, so if you have a spondylolisthesis, that's a hard word. Or a spondy. A spondy. So if you have some anterior slippage of one of your vertebras. Basically lumbar instability. Correct. You want to avoid or you want to um, find positions that promote lumbar flexion. So typically extension is not great for these people. And so we're trying to find those flexion or forward bent positions. Deep squat is great for these people. And then if you do have to be supine, we want to go or on your back. We want to put a towel under the hips to get some of that lumbar flexion going on. Make sure we avoid any kind of extension. So we want to be really, really careful with quadruped or being on all knee, on our knees or any kind of kneeling, tall kneeling. This can put a little too much extension on the spine. With the dit, if you have disc problems, so people that have a herniated disc, that's going to depend on if they have an extension or a flexion preference. So that's kind of interesting because we treat. If anyone's ever gone through McKenzie protocol, you'll you've heard of centralization. So people who really like flexion, you do flexion. People who really like extension, you do extension. So that's kind of how you would decide when you're giving birth what works. So usually lumbar extension is what reduces that nerve root pressure and that's what people like. So to get in that extended position, quadruped's great. So on your hands and knees, tall kneeling on your knees, laying on your side. And if you have to be supine again, or on your back, put the towel roll under your hips. If you have spinal stenosis, which is not super common, but it can happen. So that's just a narrowing of the spine. We want to be in the flexion-based positions. So sitting, deep squat, side-lying on your back with the towel under your hips, and we want to avoid extension. So that is kind of that in a nutshell. Um, there's a lot more. I'm, I'm going to limit myself, but we'll <laughs> try to post some pictures of these positions yeah. just so you can kind of see. I did get some other really, really good nuggets about labor. One thing that I just wanted to say, I found this. Um, this is actually a thesis that was written in 2004, and I'm absolutely going to butcher this name. Um but hold on, let me find it. I want to give credit where credit is due. Ankh Dejong. That's what I'm going to go with. 
Um, this is their thesis statement that was uh, published in 2017, I believe. Um, and basically what they're kind of saying here is that the supine position became popular because it was promoted by health professionals, but its widespread use was not based on sound scientific evidence. If women feel free to choose, they choose a variety of supine and non-supine positions, but the routine use of the supine position in the Western world can therefore be regarded as a medical intervention in the natural course of labor, which I thought that was really interesting. The way that, the way that he, he worded that was just like the, like it is an intervention in the natural course of labor. Like again, what we've been saying, let women choose what position they want to be in. And he goes on to say, many studies have compared the benefits of various birthing positions. And as far back as 1976, an anthropologist wrote that there is not one correct delivery position, but there should be a range of alternatives to suit the individual's physiological processes. Nevertheless, obstetric and midwifery research is often focused on demonstrating the superiority of one position over another. Even authors that aim to increase choice in birthing positions equate choice with the use of non supine positions. So choose the find yeah move around find out what's comfortable for you if you have some of those other areas of pain that Callie was discussing like you've got good choices at, at your fingertips to move into those different positions there's risks and benefits for every single position that's the thing some of those more upright positions they found they were at a little bit more of an increase in blood loss and some there was there was an increase in perennial tears with some of the more upright positions however if you can give birth in that position and it's not as painful and it's more comfortable for you then go for it and something they talked about is when you're on your back when you're in that traditional like supine position if you think about the sacrum and the tailbone baby really almost has to go uphill if you think it's almost like a ski slope for baby so it's fighting you're laboring against gravity for some of that and so it can be a little more difficult Also, what they found in terms of tearing, like keeping the perineum intact, side lying or lateral lying, laying on your side was actually had the highest correlation with an intact perineum and squatting had the uh, at least correlated with an intact perineum. So with that deep squat, which feels really good for some people, a little bit more at risk for tearing, but still it's, it's okay. I did want to talk a little bit about um, some things we can do or you can do because I thought that was super interesting. There's things you can do to speed up or slow down your labor, which I thought was really, really interesting. So if you're trying to get your cervix to dilate, they found that if you sit like on the toilet, so like sit facing the back of the toilet and just... I don't know what it is about having that open space beneath you. It actually sped up cervical dilation. Interesting. I'm yeah. pretty sure I saw that on an episode of I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. There were a lot of people that just thought they had to poop and then they looked and it was a baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine not no. knowing that you were pregnant? No, I can't. It'd be terrifying. That's terrifying. There's, and just all of a sudden, there's just yeah. a baby. You just go in there like, oh wow, this is just going to be, I'm going to be in the bathroom for a minute. I got to poop a lot. And then, nope, it's a child. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. A child. Um, that is terrifying. So when it comes to pushing time, 
like the time we want to spend pushing, what they found is ideal is under two hours, but over 30 minutes when we start talking about an intact or reducing the risk of tearing. Yeah. Sometimes those quick labors, those quick boom, it's out. Those can result in in tearing. The tissues just don't have enough time to like adequately stretch Mm -hmm. and expand to accommodate for that passage. And so sometimes it can just be like a really quick boom or out. So that's where the kind of sweet spot was, was anywhere under two hours, but over 30 minutes. And so there's some things you can do to speed up your labor. Those, when we talked about positions, being in a more upright position, you're utilizing gravity. Gravity. It's going to speed up your labor. And if you're trying to kind of slow things down, that's where those more reclined and supine positions can slow things down. Um, Another thing I thought was super, super interesting was when it comes to baby trying to clear the pelvis, there's some anterior posterior pelvic tilting like at certain times that they found when a mother was unmedicated she was doing that pelvic tilting naturally so she didn't have to be cute or anything and it helps the baby like clear the pelvic girdle easier and so i just thought it was so interesting how like when women give birth unmedicated it is such an like animalistic process right. like and like we revert yeah. to such a like primitive part of our brain that and just like, intuitively in a good way know. yeah yeah like yes. and it's just like we just know you yeah. just know and so I think that you know not being able to kind of tolerate that pain is is really big it's it's huge like if you know that you have a low pain tolerance and it's just like nope this just it's uh, there's no way I'm giving birth without an epidural girl you go for it but I mean, if I think it is really interesting, just the way that our body just kind of naturally takes over without us even really realizing what it is that we're doing mm-hmm. and how it could be helping, which I think is cool. Yeah. There's also a really big push to educate the partner. So whoever is going to be there advocating for mom, obviously if it's a doula, they're going to know, but say it's husband who just doesn't know. And mom like has a birth plan. Like I want to labor in these positions and maybe doctor keeps trying to get us into supine or whatever it is. Well, what they told the partners to do was ask number one, okay, is she in immediate danger? And if they said no, you ask, can she labor in this position for 15 more minutes? And then when that 15 minutes is up, you ask again, okay, is mom, baby, anybody in distress? Are we in danger? No. Can she labor for 15 more minutes? And basically, because mom's brain is not on. I mean. No, my mom thought she signed my sister away. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's what a lot of the women that talked about who had had babies, they were like, it's literally like a fever dream. Like um, the course director was like, if I can describe giving birth, it's literally like being on acid. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, she was like, no, I have never done acid. <laughs> she was like, but but I, I imagine that's what it's like. like <laughs> but giving birth, un- she was like, because she had one baby medicated and one unmedicated. And she was like, that's what I imagine being on acid. That's like, like your brain is, it's just, we talked about yeah. the hormone casserole. Your brain is doing all kinds of crazy things. Oh, so, so it's important to have that advocate. Yeah. And that's where educating the husband, partner, whoever can be super, super beneficial to help advocate for mom while she's laboring. Yeah. No, my I mom. Mean, delivering. They, yeah. No, yeah. Laboring. Birthing. There you go. <laughs> no, my mom gets wheeled into the hospital. And of course, they shove like a million pieces of paper in your face for you to sign and everything. And so she doesn't know what she's signing. She's not reading anything. She's just, just doing all the paperwork. I think my dad was like, 
park in the car or something. And so he goes, and she's like, Michael, I think, I think I signed the baby away. I think I signed the baby away. You have to go make sure I didn't give her up. I still want her. Oh. And so he was just like, I'm sure you didn't, but okay. He's just like, they're there. No, but at that point, he has to go check. Like, no, for sure. <laughs> um, by the way, did we like agree to any sort of like adoption paperwork? No, okay, great. I, I have to just go report it. that. Can you, can you come tell my wife that? Right, can you just reassure her real quick? She's kind of freaking out. That's so like, funny. Can I sign the baby away? That is that's hilarious she did it my sister is still with us <laughs> yeah that's very good very glad she didn't but i have pictures of a lot of cool positions some using stability balls some using like partner for support they're really really great we will recreate some of these for yeah. you if you happen to see a pillow shoved up one of our shirts it's just mind your business <laughs> mind your business <laughs> rachel tried to get me to get pregnant for this episode I did not. Listen, if you want Callie to get pregnant for content for this podcast, I need you to write us in, okay? Like, bombard her on social media telling her to get pregnant. I think it would be a great idea. You and Carson would be such good parents. Not yet. One day. I'm not against children. I just don't want one yet. But think of the podcast, Callie. (laughs) This isn't about you. This course both terrified and excited me to give birth because they have some graphic photos of perennial tears. Oh, I graphic. And she even apologized because there were some pregnant people taking the course. And she was like, I am so sorry. Like, I don't mean to scare you. For anybody that is pregnant. However. You know they all went home and just went at it with some perennial yeah. massage. Oh, man. I had, I had a patient who, maybe this is my patient one. She tore horrifically with her first baby. Like, she tore and then it got infected. I mean, had a traumatic, awful, horrible experience to the point, she, like, she couldn't walk for a week. I mean, it was, just had a bad, bad experience because she was in so much pain. So we're working. I'm like, no, this one, like, so a lot of anxiety surrounding the second birth. And we worked together, all the things, done all the things. Her pelvic floor was beautiful, flexible, ready to go. And it was her last visit before she had the baby. And I mean, we had, it's like last five minutes. And she was like, I don't want to do this. She was like, I, I don't, I don't want to give birth. And Sweet cheeks, like, it is too late. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, we're just going to be late going into my next patient. Cause I've got to, we've got to calm, we've got to calm this down. She was like, she's like, I, I can't. She's like, I, I don't want to. I can't, I can't, I don't. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, and we started talking and I was like, remember how you felt? And now, and like, you're going to do so great. She came back. I saw her the other day, six weeks postpartum. Great delivery. Great delivery. Phenomenal. Um, she was so comfortable during her labor. She almost didn't make it to the hospital. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. And by That's the time amazing. she got there, I think she was like over seven centimeters dilated or something like that. That's amazing. Have she- you seen that movie, uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting, yes. with like the the like hot mom that's still wearing like seven inch heels when she's, she's like, nine months <laughs> pregnant, sneezes and that baby pops out. She's just sitting on the ball like, no, baby, we can stay and finish the game. You know, my yeah. contractions are still two minutes apart. No, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that was literally her this time. She did so great. I don't, I think she did had she tear? minimally, like didn't Beautiful. even have to have stitches. Perfect. Yeah. And so she's like, she looked so great. She came in, looked flawless, had Ugh. a baby. I was like, did you even give birth? Who right. are you? Who is she? Like, and she's just like, 
I'm a new woman. And she was just like, she's like, I feel amazing. And, and so, yeah, it's, it can be like an awesome process. And especially if you prepare your body now with that being said, and this course also hammered this home, you can do everything right. You can plan, you can do perennial massage every day from day one. You can stretch, you can be like Gumby and things can still not happen according to plan because there's just no way to make sure birth goes according to plan. And just because it doesn't go according to plan does not mean you failed or you did something wrong or you didn't do your perennial massage enough or you didn't stretch enough or and if you have to have a C-section it doesn't mean you failed or you're less at the end of the day if mom and baby are healthy that is a successful birth. Yes. That that's is, that's what that we're matters. after. That that's is, what we're after. And the whole point of this is just to increase the chances of your success and increase your comfort and your mental security and well-being during birth. It is not like a test and, oh, if you don't do this, you fail. If you have to have an episiotomy, you failed. It, that's not no. the point. We just are trying to set mom and baby up for success during that birth. So. I loved, loved, loved this class. I learned so much. It sounds beautiful. That was a I'm fraction. I'm gonna need to steal your yeah, binder. It's I. I had so much fun. It was great. So, with that being said, if you're pregnant, come see us. If you're about to give birth, and I hope this was helpful. I hope you learned something. Message us if you have any questions because now I just kind of want to be a doula. I'm like, who wants to let me come to their birth? Um, Technically, you can. In Texas, there is no education requirements or certification requirements. So you can just be like, I'm a doula. And there you go. There we go. So Kelly's your doula Well, now. message me if you want me to come to your birth. <laughs> I had a patient that was like, yeah, no, you can come. And I have not heard from her in a long time. She's had that baby by now. And so I'm like, dang it. I wanted to come hang out. I to go. <laughs> I would love to get to observe a birth. I honestly think that we should do that. Like if we've got a couple patients that are cool with it or with providers that we think yeah. would be cool with it, I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah. So write us in and let us know if you'll let us observe your birth. Yeah. Let us come hang out. <laughs> Just, I mean, I know that's like a super personal. There's no way I would let anyone observe my birth. So no, no I'd pressure. Be like, no, it's gonna Get be my out. mom. Yeah. So nobody else. Not yeah. even. Not even the father. Nope. It's gonna be my mom. Carson jokingly told me he was gonna bring like his little video game console. He was like, "Cause we're gonna be there a while, right?" It's <laughs> like I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> Let's just back up a minute here. <laughs> he was like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And he'll like always send me TikToks of like dads like playing video games in the delivery room, and I'm like. Don't you dare. Don't I was like, this isn't funny. <laughs> this does not go in the baby go bag, okay? <laughs> I was like, I do not want to see that PS5 anywhere near me. If you, Unless it's Hogwarts Legacy and I can play too. <laughs> if you pull out a controller, I will lose it. Sometimes seeing like some of these stories from like labor and delivery nurses of like things that husbands or fathers have like said or done. I knew one guy, he was... Um, his wife had just given birth and I wanted, I can't remember if she had, she may have had twins mm-hmm. and his dad and like his brother were there and they went out to dinner like <laughs> that night and like left her in the hospital. And she was kind of like, she was kind of pissed about it, but she was like, I will let you go only if you bring me back a cheeseburger then we'll be fine. Deal. It's like, no, you better be door dashing that. You're not leaving my side. 
I don't care if I'm asleep. your twins. Yeah. You're going to leave me to go get a beer with the boys? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, oh man. But anyway, write in. Tell Callie to get pregnant. Do not. Um, I'm not. I'll do a <laughs> Maybe lot. Convince her. I will do a lot for the show. But one thing I will not do is get pregnant until I'm good and ready. Fine. So, Rachel... Rachel's the one who wants a baby, so why don't you I'm, just have a baby? I'm not married. <laughs> She's looking at me like, and? I'm just kidding. No, that's fair. No, that, that's that's very fair. With um, like a ring on it before I <laughs> go down that path. Um, yeah, for With sure. like that, no. that lifelong commitment. Details, details, <laughs> details, details. details. But um, I had something else I was going to say, and now I don't remember what it was. Uh, your PSA this week is to get comfortable in your positions. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, we are thinking about maybe possibly potentially having like a birthing class depending the clinic on the we haven't interest. talked to our boss yeah. about this yet either so if you guys would be interested in that if you're in the Amarillo area and you would be interested in you know just like a couple hours on a Saturday kind of thing just like a birth prep class please write us in and let us know we I mean yes we would love to provide that for you but at the same time if there's not an interest in it then right. yeah so We'll, um, we'll, we'll probably start working on some curriculum for that and then develop it further based on interest. Yeah. So yeah. if there's not the interest, we're probably not going to put in the time and energy. Right. But if the interest is there, we'd love to offer that as yeah. a resource to you yeah. guys. So let us know. Um, if you're a patient, definitely let us know as well. But that's kind of what our brains are thinking as far as what's next in the PSA world. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Time for our next favorite segment. The board, board question. question. I wish we had like some music. I was just like thinking Jeopardy that too. or something. Yes. <laughs> Come on now. Do, 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 do. Okay. You are treating a 39 year old female who underwent a lymphoscintigraphy. The results showed a blockage just prior to the left external iliac lymph nodes. Where would you expect to see swelling in this patient? Left lower extremity only, left upper extremity and left upper trunk quadrant, left lower extremity, left lower trunk quadrant and genitalia, or left upper trunk quadrant and left lower trunk quadrant. This is a wonderful question. This is a good question. So I'm going to read it again. You are treating a 39-year-old female who underwent a lymphoscintigraphy. The results showed blockage just prior to the left external iliac lymph nodes. Where would you expect to see swelling in this patient? A, left lower extremity only. B, left upper extremity and left upper trunk quadrant. C, left lower extremity, left lower trunk quadrant and genitalia. Or D, left upper trunk quadrant and left lower trunk quadrant so this question is really really good because you have to know so many things you have to know what a lymphoscintigraphy is and that is basically where just where they check the flow of the lymph nodes so they're checking for disease in the lymph nodes to see is that lymph system doing everything it should be so once you know that there's a blockage in the left external iliac lymph nodes well then you have to know like what all does that do 
where is that going to filter everything from? And then how is that going to affect the body if it's blocked? So we think about the lymph nodes, really that's going to filter everything below. So if we have a blockage, we're going to get some everything below affected. So the left lower extremity is definitely going to be affected, but that's probably not the only thing affected. So I don't like A. And then B, we've got the left upper extremity. Again, that's above. So I really don't think the upper and the trunk are going to be affected. I think we're going to see things below. C, left lower extremity, left lower trunk, quadrant, and genitalia. So I like that one more because we're seeing some in the genitalia, some in that like lower trunk near the, near the blockage, and then that lower extremity is included as well. Then D, left upper trunk, quadrant. I don't, I don't like that, including the upper trunk and then the lower trunk quadrant. No, we're excluding a lot of things. So C is going to be your best answer there. Left lower extremity, left lower trunk quadrant and genitalia is where we're going to see some swelling in this patient. Yeah. So I like, I like this question a lot because you have to know so many things, but yeah. um, Remember the right lymphatic duct only drains the right upper quadrant. Like that's it. It's like the right side of the face and the neck and the right arm and a little bit of the chest. Everything else is drained by that left lymphatic duct. Um, And so you've got to know that Mm -hmm. and understand that, okay, so the right side is probably not going to be involved at all, uh, or at least the right upper extremity. Um, And then kind of detailing, okay, where is that blockage? What is that going to look like with swelling? If that blockage is, you know, is it high in the hip? Is it low in the hip? What else is it draining? So good question. Yeah, I like that one. I thought that was fun. That was also from Herman and Wallace. Shout out. They're so good. And uh, they did not pay me to say any of this. I don't even know (laughs) I'm saying this. So. All good things. All right. Do you have a patient win? You go first. I got to think about it. Okay. Um, You had one the other day and and you came in. Oh, no. I remember what it was. Um, It was your patient that had a pelvic exam. Oh, I had two because I talked to you about. So number one, someone came to me with vaginismus and we've been working. She was able to tolerate her first pelvic exam with a speculum for the first time in seven years. That's insane. So yeah, that was one. And then my other one, which this is one you're like, that should be your patient one. This patient came in and she did not like me and she did not want to be here. And she was like, this is dumb. This isn't going to help me. I don't want to be here. And I was like, no fair. Um, I get it. I was like, but let me just like talk to you a little bit and let's, you know, we did some education and she was like, I don't want to be here, but I have no other option. So sure. Let's try it. Um, Four sessions later, she literally hugged me. She was like, can I hug you? We're best friends now. She thinks pelvic floor. She was like, this is great. She was like, this works. And I was like, no, I know. Yeah. Yes. I told Rachel, I was like, I don't know this lady. I was like, she is not the same person. that came." And it just goes to show when we are embarrassed and when we're scared and and, and that's, we have a student right now and we've been talking to her a lot about that. Like, do not write off someone based on that first eval because a lot of times people come in and they're scared and they're nervous and they don't want to be here. They don't know why they were sent to a physical right. therapy clinic. And sometimes that fear and anxiety presents as hostility and resistance to treatment because 
because that's what fear does to us. And so with those people, I always take it as like a personal challenge. So instead of meeting them, well, you don't want to be here. Like there's a door. It's I'm going to like kill you with kindness. You're going to love you're me gonna, by the end of this. You're going to learn so much from me. And, and if you learn everything there is to learn about your pelvic floor and I give you the best care possible and you still hate me, that's fine. But right. you are not going to hate me without getting the best care possible. <laughs> Most people end up loving treatment and they yeah. love the results they see. You just have to take that time. And sometimes the more difficult people are the more patients are the more rewarding. Oh, absolutely. It's like like a challenge. It's like, you will love me. Yes. Or you will love your pelvic floor. Yes. You may, I don't care how you feel about me, but you will love and you will care for your pelvic floor and you you will will get better. Yes. (laughs) And you will drink your water (laughs) and you will stop doing Kegels on the toilet. Yeah. No, that's, that's wonderful. And especially when it's just like you said, it's kind of like a little bit of an uphill battle, but I mean, we have so many patients that come in that are just like, I've never heard of pelvic floor physical therapy. I pee when I sneeze. Why in the world am I in a physical therapy office? And it's just like, Ooh, girl, let me tell you all about it. Yeah. So, um, my patient win this week, um, actually saw her last week. Um, we've kind of talked a little bit in our tools and toys episode. We talked a little bit about dilators. I will say I've had one patient that I've actually had use dilators, um, not secondary to internal radiation. So if you've gotten, if you've had internal radiation, there's a really good chance that you were provided with a dilator to prevent those vaginal walls from kind of collapsing in on themselves. Um, and adhering down. So this patient, she's actually has not had any of that. Um, but, and it has kind of been, um, really cool to see her progress in that dilator progression because like I said, it's the first time that I've used it. Like she could barely tolerate internal at all. The first couple times that we tried, um, like it was to the point where I thought her hymen was still intact. Like that is how tight these muscles were. Um, and so once we were kind of like got that first layer that UGT kind of calmed down and we're able to kind of move past that, I was like, okay, no, it's, it's not the hymen. It's just, a very lots of tension in that pubococcygeus just on the one side and so once we kind of figure it out that's kind of what it was and what's going on she's been using her dilators and she's been able to progress up to um level three we're gonna progress next time um and so we're kind of getting closer and closer she wants to be sexually active with her husband and it's just obviously been really really difficult for him and so we are we are getting there we are getting there so it's been a long process a lot of internal release a lot of dilator use um, but she is like uber 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 compliant which is amazing um, so it's been it's been cool to see like I said she's the first one that I've really actually advocated dilators for and she's been doing very well with them so that's it's so awesome. awesome yeah yeah sometimes we love to talk about the quick fixes and oh hey someone was better in three treatments because that's fun, right? But that's, right, that's not, what we want to hear. That's not always the nature of the pelvic floor dysfunction beast, unfortunately. Sometimes these conditions are more chronic and they require lengthier treatment and that's okay. And that's where celebrating those wins along the way is huge. So I love that. Progressing in dilator size. That's awesome. And yeah. her compliance, I think, is so, so awesome. So that's great. Yeah, she's doing fantastic. Good. Love that. Love that. 
All right. Well, that's all we have. I hope this was helpful. I hope yeah. this was educational for everybody. Write us in. If you have questions, write us in if you or someone you know would be interested in a labor and birth prep or course. if you want Callie to get pregnant do not write that in because <laughs> I will not do it <laughs> she will not answer and you will get blocked you will immediately <laughs> straight to Instagram straight jail. To jail. no just kidding <laughs> just kidding no but we love you guys write us in what you want to see what you want to hear um yeah let us know I mean we're we're here for you so anything that you guys want to know about yeah please let us know absolutely all right Bye, guys. Bye.